Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to make you all aware of a new higher education CRM that I've recently come to know that I think many of you will be very, very interested in. Um, and the best way to actually describe what the really the power of this CRM is to use an experience disruption analogy. So if you listened to one or more of our podcasts, you've probably heard me at some point talk about experience disruption. And one of the best ways to explain what experience experience disruption is, is to think about Uber's relationship with the traditional taxi industry, right? So from a product standpoint, Uber and your traditional classic yellow taxi cab aren't objectively different, right? They're both going to get you from point A to point B. But the difference with Uber is all in the experience. You can pop up your phone while you're at the bar finishing up your drink and request a car. The car will pull up and it'll take you exactly where you need to go. It's, it's an experience with very, very little friction, and that's why Uber wins. So similarly, Verity CRM is a CRM that acts more like an Uber and less like a traditional higher education CRM, which acts a little bit more like a taxi. So Verity delivers the industry's easiest way to communicate with perspective existing, and former students. They have a powerful built-in contact center that facilitates effective communication via multiple contact paths, which really allows university departments to focus on high-value conversations that lead to higher retention, greater conversions, and more effective job placement. The CRM is not just really, really powerful. The interface is beautiful, and it's, it's really fun to kind of play around with and build content in. It's super, super, super easy to do. So it's got like the powerful robustness of like a slate, but the easy to use functionality of like a HubSpot. And it's a higher education CRM that's built exclusively for enrollment managers and um, enrollment marketing teams. So if you want to learn more about Verity and you want to understand more about how this product is disrupting the higher education CRM experience space, head on over to verityiq.com. That's verityiq.com forward slash Enrollify to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Boozy Cruz and I am your host for today's episode. And today I have the great privilege of speaking with not one, not two, but uh, three leaders in higher education, Clayton Dean, Malika Klinkscales, and Lori Polito from Circa Interactive, Inside Track, and Ease Learning, respectively. Thank you all for joining us on the show. Um, you, want, you, all, you all want to say a quick hello? How's it going? Happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Zach. Excited to be here. Thank you, Zach. Thank you very much, Zach. Wonderful to be here. And great order. That was Clayton, Malika, and Lori. Um, well done. Well done, <laughs> folks. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to do some. We've never had three guests on the podcast before all at once. So this is going to be fun. We're, we've got a lot to cover here. Um, guys, one of the things that I like to do at the start of every interview is start actually with a different opening question that is at least uh, somewhat related to the, the topic for the day and or somewhat related to the uh, our, our interviewee's expertise. 
expertise, but I'd love for each of you just to start and briefly talk about an institution. You know, this could be a quick story. This could be an example of an institution. If you'd prefer not to name them, that's totally okay. Um, or even a team within an institution that you believe has adapted well, adapted creativity, uh, creatively, excuse me, and, and successfully since COVID hit. And maybe, maybe, well, let's just stay, Clayton, we'll start with you and then Malika and then Lori. Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, you know, it's, it's been an interesting, uh, six months, I'd say 90% of our, our partners, um, were already online pre COVID. So luckily most haven't skipped the beat, but you know, what I'll say is, you know, where I'm seeing the most successful partners that are, that are stronger than they've been, you know, even in the past is, you know, a lot of creativity and innovation when it comes to where they're allocating their budget and kind of what the makeup of their of their marketing strategy looks like. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks who listen to this podcast, you know, their budgets are getting cut. You have to do a lot more with with less right now, just as kind of the, the trickle down effect of, of, you know, undergrad drops and, and budget cuts across the board. So we're narrowing a lot of focus to you know, best performing channels and campaigns that are going to stretch every dollar spent. So we're seeing um, also some reallocation of budget to really hone in and focus on the audience intelligence piece. For example, we're seeing a, a lot of our partners, uh, especially the ones who are, who are um, you know, coming out of this in, in pretty good shape are really understanding, you know, who their target audiences are and, and avoiding a lot of the blanketed marketing approach, um, tapping into behavior economics, just so, you know, we're doing a lot of testing prior to to going to market to understand, you know, what's going to resonate with an audience and and how do we personalize the experience as much as possible. And then the SEO and inbound uh, portion of it is is definitely a major focus just to, you know, be able to kind of spread out some of the 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 you know where the inquiries are coming from and and try to try to you know attack some of the the uh, you know long tail keyword opportunities and leveraging SEO in order to help you know decrease costs. So um, you know all in all, I think you know we're we're seeing a lot of folks step out of their comfort zone and have to kind of rethink how they're going about their marketing. Um, but again, you know we're kind of lucky where a majority of our partners are, are you know didn't really get hit too hard, but they're just having to be smart, smart with how they're how they're spending their budget. Fantastic. Quick follow up there. Just out of curiosity, have you felt as it, how have you, I guess, seen budgets being reallocated with respect to marketing? Are, are you seeing clients, are you seeing leadership within within your client portfolios coming in and, and demanding more of X, Y, or Z services? Like, how have you seen uh, marketing priorities change? Just, just briefly. I mean, I would say even though, you know, SEO is is a big focal point in, you know, inbound in general and trying to decrease cost per lead, there's much more, you know, especially from leadership wanting to see where those dollars are going and how and how those turn into students down funnel. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say that's probably the biggest focus is just making sure every dollar spent is is equating into into a student. Um, so just much we're having to make sure there's a lot more visibility and a lot of those types of you know, if you look at a holistic strategy, some of those approaches can be kind of, you know, they're not easy to track. So we're having to pull back on some of those areas and, and put budget into places where we have that data and visibility that so we can, you know, we can show, um, you know, the usually the leadership, um, you know, where those dollars are going. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, Malika, you're up. 
Yeah, um, I would definitely say uh, similarly, similarly to Clayton, um, that many of our partners um, have been working uh, remotely with students. So Inside Track's uh, business of coaching um, has always been, well over for a decade, has been coaching remotely. So understanding and embracing uh, strategies, outreach strategies, ways to connect with students that are multi-channel, meaning to coach by phone, by email, by text message. Um, I would highlight probably the University of Georgia's work um, as they had been really adapting our coaching methodology and working with students more in a face-to-face -face, um, modality, but felt very comfortable and prepared through working with us to switch to Zoom meetings, which was um, a pretty big change for them. And I would say partners that have been successful during COVID-19 have been able to kind of have a mindset shift, um, maybe a forced mindset shift to really lean into uh, this, the, the, the the thought that they don't have to be right in front of the student. So maybe not something they had been um, open to or, or as comfortable with, uh, but being able to understand the connection between the student and how that relationship can be fostered um, through these different platforms. Um, those partners that have been able to make that leap um, quickly, I think have done, have done quite well. And a quick follow-up question there as well. Have you noticed a shift in, in your the partners that you all work with between um, the kind of people that are are really good at sort of the, the in-person coaching, the in-person kind of like face-to-face -face communication versus the folks that are now having to kind of pivot and do this virtually? One of the things that uh, we're hearing a lot of buzz about is, hey, you know, I've got these awesome admissions counselors or I've got these great program coordinators, and they're really good when it comes to person-to-person -person communication and, you know, walking with the student and, and whatnot through sort of the enrollment process and, and coaching them through the application process. Um, but there are these barriers that they have to jump through because they're very extroverted people and now they have to do things virtually and they're running into roadblocks. Um, I'm just curious, uh, is there, have you all sort of had, have your partners had to sort of change the way in which they coach internally to adjust to this, this new virtual format or has it been more or less pretty seamless? I would say more more likely pretty seamless. I would say we are probably getting more more inquiries from other institutions asking how do you do what you're doing. Got um, it. I yep. think the partners that we've been working with are able to say, ah, we understand now some of the things and the principles that we've been taught and how they're helping us now, now that we have this chasm of distance. But I think for us, it's an uptick of, of others asking, well, how, how, does, how do you really do this? How is this um, possible and manageable? And I think pre-COVID, it wasn't something they had to really entertain. They could be more, um, more traditional in their thinking that the face-to-face -face connection was, was the, the ultimate way to connect with students. Sure, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, thanks for that. Okay, Lori, your thoughts? Um, I think COVID has been a great divide. Uh, for the continuum of where different institutions are in their online journey. Uh, the ones that have committed themselves to a strategy around online and really invested in creating a student experience in their courses, not just translating face-to-face -face content onto the internet, um, which many have done in a very rapid fashion, uh, because of the onset of COVID, the ones that had the infrastructure and the investment and the strategy already in place to make this an emphasis or an area of emphasis definitely are faring better than others. Um, and part of the reason there's a commonality uh, around why that is, I see a pattern there. Um, the investment in student experience and understanding who you are as an institution or as a brand in the online space has to be premeditated 
And it's not something you throw together because you're not going to open and you're going to be remote and you figure this out three weeks before you're going to launch. Um, there's a component of change management. There's a component of faculty buy-in where there's uh, not so much, um, I mean, all institutions have silos to some extent, but when it comes to creating that student experience for what is online going to look like, there should be some kind of commonality uh, in the student experience from a platform perspective, from a pedagogy perspective, and centralizing all of that and getting faculty buy-in and training and the right tool set in place doesn't happen overnight. So the people who had that lined up really well were able to respond to this in a much more agile, rapid manner and have a much better student experience as a result of that. Um, they also understood the timelines to being able to uh, respond to this uh, rather rapidly. So even in some cases where some schools just can't make the decisions they need to make fast enough and the, the summer kind of evaporated on them, the schools that we knew were, were getting headway started immediately in March and were putting plans in place, not only for their summer, but also for their fall programs. They're thinking ahead. So I would say, um, you know, the bottom line is that having an understanding of, of learning design and as course development and program development as the physical learning product that you're engaging your students with and making the proper investment into making that a real thing, not just a, an afterthought by videotaping lectures and throwing them online, but creating an interactive experience that students have come to accept as a better way of learning online you have to have a strategic plan and, and, and proper funding and timelines to make that real. Um, by far, the schools that had their act together in that realm are faring way better than the others. Follow-up question for you. Will this be, that was very helpful. Thank you for fleshing this out, fleshing all of that out. Will this be the end of uh, silos in higher education? Like, do, do you think that like from here on out, as we, as we emerge hopefully sooner than later from this, this reality that you're going to see way less friction between departments within educational institutions because they're cognizant of the fact that, Hey, in order to win, in order to truly be competitive, we just have to be more agile. And therefore we've got to figure out ways to remove the barriers that still exist between departments, but you know, within the context of an institution, or how do you think, what do you think the future of silos in higher education will look like post COVID? Hmm. I, I think that's going to play out by who thrives and who struggles. Um, I think the student experience is going to speak for itself. The market of students shopping as consumers of these products is going to speak for itself. And I don't think even in a post-COVID world, it's ever going to go back to the way that it was before, um, especially because younger generations of learners, we've just indoctrinated every K-12 to student to learning online. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And they're all coming. So the next 12 years, 13, 14, 15 years of this is going to be a savvy audience that expects the, te the people teaching them to have a certain skill set around this modality and the flexibility that it brings and the advantages of that. And the, it's going to redefine the way people expect an experience to be. Uh, and I think that the schools that 
band together internally to create the proper student experience in this modality are going to succeed. And the ones that refuse to get on that bandwagon, you're going to start to see a shift in the market. Couldn't that's agree my more. crystal ball analysis. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 very interesting. Um, and you know, time will tell. But um, I I absolutely agree with with your your foresight there. Um, all right, so we are in an elevator, all four of us, and this is post COVID when all four of us are allowed to be in an elevator together. Um, and we're going up to the penthouse of, uh, let's say it's a 50 story building. So it's going to be about a one minute ride. And your each of your challenge. Um, is to give me the quick sort of elevator pitch for your what your career to date has looked like um, and a little bit about what you're doing now within the context of your company. So Clayton, why don't we again start with you? If you could just give us a, a crash course on who Clayton is, um, you know, what you do at Circa and, and Circa Interactive and, and what's you know, led you uh, to, to be where you are to, uh, today. Yeah, no problem. So, um... I went to college at Duquesne University on a swimming scholarship. I was initially really hyper-focused on working in uh, professional sports. So I did so for um, about, I had a pretty short stint. I had an internship with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then I worked at the Orlando Magic, but quickly realized it wasn't wasn't the world I thought it was. Um, but luckily, I had a friend who was working at Deltec at the time, which is now known as Wiley, hmm. um, referred me, and I ended up... Um, getting hired as a program manager. So I was on the enrollment side of the business, um, kind of worked my way up there and ended up, uh, they ended up moving me out to Denver when they started, when Dell Tech started their West Coast operations. So myself and another individual from, uh, from their Chicago office went out and I built that up, um, you know, helped build that up to about 50 folks or so, mainly focusing on new program launches. So I was, you know, mainly focused on the enrollment operations, but doing a lot across the board to make sure those launches were successful. Um, but right around early 2011, a good friend of mine who I grew up with, um, who's now my, my our co-founder of, of Circa, um, he was working for Embinet Compass, which is now known as Pearson, um, hmm. running a lot of their digital marketing side of the business. So, um, as you all know, it's a you know it's a small small world we're in. Um, started getting a lot of calls about people going to private institutions to help them with their marketing. Um, and Robert and I realized the opportunity where, you know, a lot of institutions, OPMs are great, but not every school is going to, can work with one. Not every school can do it on their own. So especially on the marketing front where it's very talent driven, it's hard to get a lot of the talent that you need to do, you know, to be successful on the, on the enrollment marketing side. So, um, since 2011, Circa has grown, we're about 50 individuals now, um, based out of San Diego. Um, and we work with dozens of institutions around the country, main, mainly private nonprofits, but we work with a, with a few major, um, you know, public, um, public schools as, as well. Um, and, you know, we're doing everything from program feasibility and, and, you know, helping institutions understand, you know, budgets and forecasts and, you know, a lot of the planning that goes into developing an online program, um, really heavy into the audience research, discovery, um, persona development, and then the full, you know, holistic marketing strategy. And then, we do quite a bit to support um, enrollment teams and the retention side as well and, and looking to kind of uh, repurpose and maximize a lot of the work we do on the marketing side to help inform the, the nurture side. So um, I'm probably over a minute, but my, my last uh, last point is just my day-to-day. My -day. I'm, I'm the COO, so mainly in charge of the day-to-day -day operations. I'm still on a lot of client calls and biz dev calls and things like that, but um, you know, mainly focused on, on the business operations side uh, of Circa um, as a whole. 
Well, thank you uh, for for that story and that context. Um, it sounds like you've had quite the journey uh, thus far in your career, and uh, excited to to see you uh, heading up the team there there at Circa. And our team has uh, referenced your all's content um, and your client portfolio several different times when uh, in conversations with uh, with our own clients. So you guys are doing great work. Awesome. Keep it up. Um, all right, Malika, appreciate it. You're up. Yeah, so I'd say my passion has always really been anchored in finding solutions uh, to the challenges that people are facing. And I've done that through various sectors, um, from health and medicine uh, to business and, and now higher education. Uh, my training is in medical and behavioral science and uh, also in being a strategic leader. Um, that's taken me from the nonprofit sector, government, and as I said, higher education. So I think really what landed me at Inside Track almost a decade ago was the commitment and interest in helping students find their way, um, being a voice for students, student advocacy. I'm the daughter of a retired professor. Um, realized I've always had a high amount of higher education privilege and knowing that access to education is not something that um, everyone has. Hmm. And so working with Inside Track, which is an a educational coaching and consulting company that supports students through the modality of coaching, all the way from inquiry, enrollment, retention, um, into career and even some re-entry work. But that is our way of connecting with students and being thought partners with them as they embark upon um, the different aspects of their higher education journey. Uh, I started in, at Inside Track as a coach, into operational management, uh, training and development work. And uh, here recently within this year, uh, moved into the partner success team, which is really responsible for helping to establish uh, perspective business and really helping institutions find their way. So I think my career has evolved um, in wanting to help more students, but now working more closely with the institutions and helping them to think about uh, what is the student experience for their students and how they can maximize their approaches and their solutions in terms of helping students not only enroll, um, but retain and go on to have the, the careers that they're, they're looking for. I'll stop because I know I'm almost over or already over. <laughs> you did better than Clayton, so congratulations. Um, <laughs> yep. No, but uh, quick, actually, quick follow-up there. Uh, I'm, I'm always inspired, Malika, by people who have been uh, with a company for a, a extended period of time and have started in a more sort of like entry-level role and sort of like work their way up. I'm curious, yep. just quickly, uh, what keeps you excited and passionate about the work that Inside Track has is doing? Like, I'm sure you've seen you've seen a lot, um, and you've seen I'm right. sure the company kind of shift and and morph uh, through over the course of the years. And so, rather than sort of like giving up and moving on to something else, like, what is it that right. sort of keeps you inspired and going? Um, and, and hopeful for sort of the, the impact that you will bring through your time at Inside Track? Sure, uh, that's a wonderful question. I think Inside Track at its core uh, core mission is unlocking human potential. And I, it's such an easy work for because it's really believing um, in the optimism and the ability of everyone to, to move forward, to, to go deeper, to go to grow deeper. And so I think one, the, the culture of the company um, our, without question, our number one selling point are our coaches, um, the really the high emotional intelligence, but the, the fundamental belief in that in wanting to see people arrive at their best place in life. And so mm -hmm. I think it's, it's been easy to move from being a coach and to then move into management and then now as an associate vice president to still have to see a company change and morph um, with the times and, and increase its its effectiveness and ability to use technology and it's still reaching and looking for how to be relevant 
and how to maintain students um, as our number one priority. So I'd say in a nutshell, it's that inside track through the years has always remained student focused and, and wanting to make sure that it is very uh, comprehensive, philanthropic, um, but really using things like abiding uh, optimism and seeing things like sustainability and helping partners find a way to not have work that is a, a flash in a pan, but that, that really lasts so that we have long lasting impact with student lives. Very, very well said. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, Lori, on to you. Give us your elevator pitch, please. Sure, sure. Um, so I got my start uh, very much as an educator. I have a master's in education from Boston College, and I was part of an urban schools-focused cohort there. Um, my commitment to student experience and to um, creating educational opportunities, uh, you know, in the K to 12 space for my class, for my classroom personally, and as a team member across the school that I was a part of, building a new middle school there, um, really was uh, all about working with kids that basically had um, a much less likely path to succeed in figuring out how to actually make that, that likelihood increase, right? Um, I always like a challenge. <laughs> Um, that really was the beginnings for me of uh, integrating technology and pedagogy into, into creating opportunities for learning. Um, I did a lot of that with my students. We were fortunate to have access to computers and the internet before, you know, that was really a, a regular thing in every classroom. And that interest kind of just grew. Uh, so the time that I left teaching, I started getting into actually writing, uh, writing code and, and looking at databases and how that could be used to build online learning. And it was really before learning design and online learning even had a name. Hmm. Um, and it turned out that the, the divergence towards technology and the background in teaching got me a job at St. Petersburg College when, you know, again, before learning design was even a thing. Um, and there was a great uh, grant there called Project Eagle. And, you know, it was basically to work with faculty to put really creative, cutting edge programs online. And again, it was about creating student experience. We did a lot of work with accessibility and uh, some of that work is still cutting edge to this day, uh, even though it happened in like 1990-something. <laughs> um, a lot of it was really groundbreaking, and the people that I met there were really groundbreaking. And some of those people remained colleagues, and they became one of our first clients. They said, you know, you're moving back to New England. Why don't you start a company, and we'll outsource some stuff to you. Okay, great. Well, the next path brought me to Southern New Hampshire University, and I worked there for a while. Just when they were starting to spin everything off, I was the first learning designer they hired. Wow. And I helped create the model that has made them where they are today. I was at the very infant stages of that, and they became uh, a client of ours from the very early days. And little by little, creating student experience and working with great people who had a commitment to defining what that was going to look like in this modality and being a part of those early, early phase conversations has really driven us to define who we are as a company and to really create processes that support that in a scalable way. And we've been kind of the percolating secret sauce behind a lot of growth of a lot of the best practice out there. Um, you know, trying to do that a little bit more, more overtly now and um, 
banding together with the likes of Clayton and Malika has been a wonderful experience because I think we are all very familiar, familiarly aligned around student experience and about creating educational opportunities. And I think that's still at our core. Most of our staff of um, you know nearly 50 full-time people, uh, not to mention hundreds of contractors that we've kept in our network over the years, um, we are all educators first, and we've embraced the technology that supports the great learning design. So really what differentiates us is that we see the whole picture. We see the learning journey as um, what we're all about, which in some instances, if you think about it, is driving the business outcomes of the institutions that we're serving because their, their, their desire is to create great graduates that have meaningful purpose and jobs. And we're helping to create the, the student experience in this modality that helps facilitate that. Thank you for that. Uh, Follow-up question. So you seem, just based off of uh, the 20 some odd minutes that we've been chatting, uh, that you're very entrepreneurial in nature. It seems like there's probably zillions of ideas that are that are running through your head at, at any given point in time. And I'm curious, what's the what's the biggest idea sort of running through Lori's head right now or a big idea, if you don't want to give your biggest one away, um, that's sort of just uh, percolating in the back of your mind when you think about sort of where ease, is, ease learning is at right now and or it could be completely unrelated to what we're talking about today. What what is what idea is sort of uh, uh, bouncing around your mind these days? Actually, I'm really glad you asked me that. And it wasn't on the list. It wasn't on the list. I like to go off script <laughs> it wasn't a little bit. It was on the list, but I'm sorry. Uh, for the last five or six years, I had an idea about setting intention around learning outcomes and being able to measure it and really see the data around achieving. And we started creating prototypes of software that would help us do this, that would embody our learning design process. And only in the last maybe three years have we made significant progress on building that. And only in the last two years with our collaboration with Chris Fento, have we really materialized the product hmm. and it could not come at a better time because measuring the intention around competency and skills and workforce and the fact that we're designing programs that are meant to actually accomplish something and being able to show the efficacy of what's going on for the student in those courses in real time is extremely exciting. And thinking about all of the different ways to use that data to inform instruction and to help students attain their goals more efficiently and effectively, that is what I obsess about. <laughs> um, and for that reason, it really doesn't feel like work. Fantastic. You did say you love a good challenge and that sounds like one heck of a challenge. So, uh, thank you, uh, for, for sharing that with us. And, uh, I look forward to kind of watching, uh, watching this unfold. Uh, this is, this is very, very exciting. Okay. We've got a lot to cover. So I'm going to move on here. Uh, what I really want to talk about today is how institutions can build, manage, and grow outstanding online degree programs through partnerships, through efficiency, and through a focus on what's actually best for not just the institution, but most importantly, the student as well. And I know that the three of you have been hard at work building a incredible new course for higher ed professionals. And today's listeners are going to get a little bit of a, a taste of what that course is like. So I'd like to start actually by asking you, Clayton, to give us a little bit of backstory on what inspired the, the creation of this course. 
Yeah, I, I'd love to. So, um, got it. I'll probably start, uh, you know, going back a couple years, we, we, um, you know, we got introduced to inside track and, you know, started forming a, you know, a, a great partnership there and just looking at, you know, ways we can collaborate and work together. Um, and I, I think it was, uh, oh, what conference was that Lori last year that we met, um, down in Orlando? Um, I forget the conference, but we met, I think that is correct. That is correct. So we met Lori and, and the ease team, um, you know, about almost a year ago now, getting, getting close to a year ago. But what we realized is, you know, as the three of us connected, number one, the inside track and the East teams are just amazing people. They're great to work with. And we found there's a lot of alignment and shared values, our, our joint focus on student success. And clearly it's, you know, different functions within the online learning experience. Um, but, you know, different functions, but we all are very hyper-focused on student success. And we started recognizing the importance, and, and I think just from our individual experiences, understanding the importance of continuity and the collaboration between the learning design team, the enrollment marketing team, and, and the coaching and retention teams, um, and the importance of that to build high-quality programs. I'll tell you from my experience, it's super rare to see the, the three, those three areas working in, in lockstep. Um, and you see the output of that, especially when new programs are being developed. Um, you see that disconnect, you see the inconsistency in the student experience. Um, and it really does impact, you know, lead to app rate, app to start rates, persistence rates. There's, there's a lot that it can affect. And, and really, unfortunately, I don't, we just don't see that a lot in our world right now where those, you know, where the three functions are working together. Um, so we've developed kind of a, a neat collective where the th our three organizations are, are um, you know, kind of putting our minds together and, and seeing how we can make an impact on the industry. Um, so we came together to offer the free series. It was right around the, you know, the beginning of, of COVID, um, where naturally, you know, institutions were increasing the amount of online instruction they're engaged with. Um, so we wanted to create a series to arm those individuals who are you know, part of the conversations around online learning development who typically, you know, may not have a lot of experience in that area, who need the knowledge, need the framework of how things should be done across learning design, enrollment marketing, and coaching and retention. Um, so they can add value in those discussions and, and, and just make sure they're, they're helping guide that effort. Um, our biggest fear is, you know, a lot of these institutions pushing out um, you know, a, an online learning experience that really isn't going to do it justice is not going to do the student justice and, and is just going to put them on, on an incorrect path. So we created the series. Um, there's some kind of pre-work involved with it, but there's three sessions where we start out with, with persona development and, and storytelling. So that that's the circa kind of area. And we show how that all, um, how that can impact the learning design and, and the en enrollment marketing piece or the enroll enrollment coaching piece, I, I should say. Um, and um, next we move on to the coaching piece and inside track with, with Malika or, or, and, then, uh, and then Lori. So, you know, really we're focused on accomplishing a couple things with the series. Ensure great student outcomes and, you know, and just make sure we're arming the individuals who, who join us and participate with, the knowledge and those skills to, to make sure they're putting their program in, in, in a good place for long-term success. I'm really interested to, to hear who you guys think 
uh, and Clayton, maybe you just answer this. And if, if others disagree, uh, they can feel uh, free to chime in. Who's sort of your all's target persona in terms of the course? Like, who do you want participating in this? Who's sort of like best? Because you guys are, again, from from different disciplines. There's obviously a, a fair amount of overlap here. But who all like who is sort of like the ideal course participant? So, you know, we've kind of designed it to where it would, you know, it can, anyone can, it can be impacted by it, you know, that's working in higher ed, but it's really designed for the, you know, the provost, vice provost, dean, director level yeah, folks yeah. Um, who are going to be part of those conversations, you know, most likely, you know, an enrollment advisor may not be a part of those discussions, but at the same time, it could be really valuable for them to have this context. So, you know, as you're rolling out a program, they kind of have an idea of how things should be done or, you know, recommendations or, you know, they at least have some foundations to work off of. But I'd say it's going to be most beneficial for, you know, the leadership type roles. Um, but again, it's, you know, we, we kind of designed it so it, it impact and benefit anybody in, you know, a lot of different departments and different roles who, um, you know, who may be a part of those conversations as, you know, a lot of schools are saying, you know, there a lot of them hopefully are already past this point, you know, for, for the most part, at least they're, they're working toward building out an online infrastructure, but um, want to make sure they just at least have that foundation and framework to, to participate in those conversations. I just want to add one thing onto that, if I, if I may. Please, please. Um, I think that there is um, a lot to be gained from the course for anybody who's coming to it from a leadership position with the idea that they can be using what's 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 happening in the course as a framework for structuring a task force internally mm. and bringing some of those conversation starters and the tools that we're providing um, to really kind of form their strategy and think about the journey of a student as, as an experience that needs to be defined just as much as the campus experience. Very, very well said. I love that. Um, and there's a dearth of quality content out there um, that helps you know, show folks how to do this, or, or at least how to initiate conversations that will that will lead to an overhaul or an augmentation of of student experience. Um, you know, and and storytelling, uh, which you mentioned earlier, Clayton, is obviously at the heart of a lot of this. And so, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about storytelling and really the crucial role it plays in enrollment marketing and and student recruitment. So, what frameworks? I'm going to actually direct this question to you, Malika. What frameworks do you use when coaching? enrollment managers and higher ed marketers on persona development and storytelling any sort of like hip uh, helpful uh hipful i almost said but uh helpful tips and tricks here that our listeners can can kind of take away um and and use in their own context sure i, I certainly would say for for us we look at enrollment coaching really as um the opportunity to understand the student's story so it, it is Making sure that the student story um, is in alignment with the the institution that they're that they're um, potentially looking at um, uh, um, looking at going to. So, for example, the only way that we can really do that is if the student knows their story and the coach working with them is able to help pull out that story. Right? Hmm. Who are you? Uh, what are you looking for? Ultimately, what do you need to be successful academically? Um, our enrollment coaches are able to, to hold all of the, the value propositions and the understanding of the institution, but that what they really do is they're doing some critical thinking to show that alignment um, and allow the student to either tell the story they already know about themselves or through that coaching relationship, 
actually articulate it and discover it. So I always used to tell my enrollment team that it's about coaching the dream, right? It's being able mm. to listen for that dream, to, to help them understand and prioritize that dream and then provide the next steps in the direction that makes sense given that conversation. So that's the type of alignment um, that we really wanna have the, the persona of the student, but then with that, allow it to match the institution that we're talking about. I love that. And that's a very helpful uh, framework for thinking about sort of the, the enrollment marketing and student recruitment uh, phase of the journey. Um, I'm curious, Clayton, how you think these, these concepts apply to the actual development of the online course. Well, there, there's two things I wanted to point out too that I think is really helpful please, as please. part of this, and I and I think it extends through all of the you know the functional areas we're talking about today. It's the two things: personalization, so you know that deep and thorough understanding of of who the students are, what their motivations are, what challenges they're trying to solve, right? Um, this is an area we see a, a lot a lack of investment, and it's it's kind of a an area we're always trying to, um, we're always having to really educate on the importance. And especially if we can do a lot of this work at the beginning of a project um, or, you know, the, the deployment of an online program so it can inform the work that Malika and, and Lori's teams are doing. Um, and we typically recommend, you know, four or five, six different personas. And not only of like, I think everybody has a different definition of persona. So it's not only you know, the demo of who they are and where they are, but, you know, what do they care about? What are their interests? What problems are they trying to solve? What publications do they read? We try to get down to a really granular level. We use a lot of the behavior economics that I, that I mentioned earlier to kind of understand, you know, what are the, what are the things that might be subconsciously keeping somebody from, from pursuing a degree that can help them get to where they want to go. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll leverage this information as kind of that foundation, you know, not only on the marketing side and, and, you know, our audience segmentation within Facebook and LinkedIn or, you know, guiding our content strategy, but, you know, it's super helpful as well for, you know, the personalization of the actual experience in the classroom that, that Lori's team can build. And my second point and the other, the other important uh, framework here is this the consistency piece. And I can't stress this enough. And I think this is a big kind of focal point of the, of the speaker series that we were talking about, but that consistency is going to be really, really important uh, across the board. Um, we see it a lot as well, where it's a great marketing message and then they get in and talk to the enrollment team and it just goes completely flat. It's never mentioned again, that kind of hook that really engaged somebody and showed them why the program was going to get them to where they wanted to go um, is completely lost. Right. Yeah. So, you know, again, that's going to impact a lot of your metrics, your lead to app, your app to start rate, your persistence rate. Um, but that consistency is, is just so key in telling that story across, you know, every step of the student journey, that story needs to be consistent and it needs to be personalized. That's super helpful. Uh, I pre appreciate those, uh, those additional insights. Uh, and then Lori sort of, uh, uh, closing out this, this question here, I'm curious what lessons you think we can learn from outside the industry that can help improve our narrative creation, whether this is uh, within sort of the course itself and, or within sort of the, uh, marketing and, and recruitment involved before the student actually, uh, enrolls at the institution. Yeah, I think a lot of what we can garner from 
from from just what students are shopping for. What are they looking for? What are they needing? How do they want to engage with one another with the courses that we're designing? And what do they want the takeaways to be? Um, you know, there's been, actually Strata did a great report on this and it's, you know, not only are they showing the percentage of increase of adult learners, but what they want most to take out of uh, their coursework is something relevant, something hands-on, something practical, something immediately usable in the workplace, um, which means we need to rethink the way we do assessment. Asking students to tell you what they know versus asking them to demonstrate what they can actually do is a complete redesign of the way to think about learning outcomes and yeah. accreditation and the way we think about creating opportunities for them to be curators of content, not recipients. Hmm. Um, and asking them to look at resources as things they have to react to and implement and apply instead of just digest. It's a complete shift and faculty were not trained in pedagogy nine times out of 10. Pairing them with a designer is critical to getting those kinds of experiences and making sure that when the student logs in, and we're not talking about taking away academic freedom, within the confines of how to teach that subject, that's great. That's faculty, they're experts. We're not experts on content. We're experts on how to make sure the student journey is rock solid in this modality. And that means creating a consistent UX and making sure that there's, you know, they're not bumping into things in the technology along the way and making sure that, um, you know, if you, if you had students walk into a lecture hall and every single time they had to do that, you rearranged all the furniture and you made that journey a, a, an extra cognitive load on them to just figure out how they were going to be able to participate in the class. Maybe raising your hand is wrong. Maybe you need to shout, you know, you wouldn't change that. Yeah. So why would you expect them to do that 500 different ways just to get a degree? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's preposterous to think that that is something that needs to be unique every single time. It's a terrible idea. So just kind of aligning everybody around that and telling the story through the design of, of this is what the student expectation is. This is what they need from us. We're supposed to be here for them. Um, it's not about what's in the comfort level of the person facilitating. It's about creating an experience for the student to meet them where they are and teaching everybody else how to do that well. I'm going to go a little off script here because that was uh, that was super helpful, at least for me. And a, a quick follow up uh, to that, Lori, can you help us like give us some give us a framework or give us some sort of uh, uh, a couple of maybe even just tips and tricks for how you think folks should go about actually thinking about this differently. And so if, if I'm listening to this episode right now, and I'm, I'm like, wow, I know exactly what you're talking about, Lori, and that describes, you know, all of my all of our online coursework, all of our online programs, how do folks help start uh, pivoting and sort of like moving in a direction that is more consistent, that does have a, uh, a UX that is, that is, you know, fluid and, and frictionless and helps really guide the user in a way that is helpful and ultimately results in, uh, you know, more learning at the end of the day. So help us, can, can you just, you know, maybe quickly flesh out whether it's pointing to a couple of programs that you think are doing this really, really well and or just helping us better understand how do you sort of like crawl before you walk before you eventually run? I'll tell you, I mean, I'm going to give some kudos to SNHU for having 
basically pioneered some of this stuff. But even back in the day with the most elementary course design, deciding what the pillars of a course were going to be every single time, you know, we were going to use discussion quite intentionally because of social constructivist principles. And it was a really important thing to have a certain weighting on that. And we were going to make sure that we didn't overload every course with too many different tools. And we were going to make sure that we didn't have the resources be super expensive and unattainable for students to purchase. So we were looking at open educational resources. These things became the pillars. And I'm sure that they have evolved this. I give them tons of credit for all the smart people they have there now, making this even better. But in terms of walk before you run, there was a small basic list of what to have and what not to have and to make sure that everything else fit into that. And even to think about, you know, thinking about who the learner is and are they taking the bus to work? When should we make the assignments do? Because if we make them do when they're trying to get their kids to bed and commuting to work and they have a side job and they have all these commitments, you know, changing when an assignment is due is gonna decide whether they persist or they fail. Basically, trying to understand who your learner is should drive these kinds of decisions. And those fundamental things that everybody can agree upon should be the pillars in a program. That's the beginnings of a framework. And then you can get more complex as you go. You can think about how do we want to use media effectively? How do we want to use video? Do we want some kind of, um, you know, how much of this should be passive? How much of this should be active? These are conversations that should be the basis of creating a framework. We talk a lot about this in the course that we created. That is my portion of the course that was created with um, these fine folks today we're on here with. And I think it's also uh, a pillar in everything we do as a design firm. We start with those, those frameworks when someone engages us. What I love about this too is, and Clayton, uh, directing this maybe to, to this question to you, but uh, others feel free to chime in as well, is we are, oh, hello, are you guys there? Yeah. Oh, okay, my apologies. There's a little bit of static on my end, but you know what, we'll be fine. Um, so question uh, for, for you, Clayton, and um, at least kick us off here is, one of the things that we talk to schools a lot about is sort of the the uh, the need for true a true unique value proposition. And in the reality of the situation is that for many, many schools with similar programs, especially sort of like smaller liberal arts schools, uh, they can struggle to really understand what their UVP is. And so from a marketing standpoint, from a messaging standpoint, it gets a little bit complicated because they're not that different from the school down the street. And, um, or if they are different, and in fact, most of the time, there is some nuances, there, there are some differences, they're doing a terrible job at effectively communicating that. So my question uh, is based off of what Lori just said about really understanding, okay, who is this course designed for? As she's talking about something as, as simple and yet as important as understanding when your, when your students can actually turn in an assignment, how do enrollment marketers sort of uh, take that and, and use that really as, as fuel for a marketing campaign, as, 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 as fuel to be able to, uh, to present a, a unique value proposition? Does that make sense? Like, I guess what I'm saying is help us make the connection between the learning course design and how that translates and why it matters to folks who are on the front lines recruiting students for an institution. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would say 
first off, uh, not enough schools are, are marketing and, and leveraging the online learning experience in their, in their marketing. Um, there's very little visibility. There might be a couple screenshots of a, of a zoom or something like that. But, um, you know, I would say overall, we, it's pretty rare and we, and, and, you know, there's so much value in, in showing a student what that experience is going to look like. And especially if, if, you know, you're doing the, the discovery work, um, you know, at the beginning of, of, a, of a program to understand what those, what the students care about when they get into the classroom and how, and really how we can tie that to outcomes, right? The yeah. learning outcomes are going to, are going to be the most important, important component. And we need to connect that dot between, you know, and I think this is where on the enrollment coaching side, it's really key because we've, you know, we've used a really engaging personalized message and, and kind of, um, you know, touching on what they care about in the marketing message to, to, to engage with them. And then on the, on the enrollment coaching piece, it's connecting the dot between that concept and what got them into the funnel and making it a reality of like, what does that learning outcome actually look like? And you can create content around that. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, we usually call them resource guides, but there's, a, there's, you know, different types of content you can build around that too, to capture people at the top of the funnel who might be looking for a specific type of learning experience or, you know, are look, looking for specific learning outcomes. You can create a lot of content to, to attract those top of funnel folks and then nurture them through, um, you know, through the funnel. But, you know, that learning experience is, is going to be really key to show them and connect the dots for the individual and, and show them, you know, there's a behavioral science concept called uh, future self. And I think that is a really key component. That learning experience, that learning environment is going to be the mechanism to get them to their future self, to go into their community and solve a problem that they want to solve or whatever that driver is that is bringing them to you and, and, and you know, driving them to pursue their, their degree. Um, hopefully that answers the question. No, I, I love that. And that was a, I asked you a very long winded question. Um, but no, and you know, you, you nailed it. I, that's, spot on what, what I was what, what I was hoping you would say. Um, and really, I think like the, the nuts and bolts here is how do we, again, how do we kind of increase conversation? How do we increase touch points between the people that are responsible for course development and the people that are on the front lines actually marketing these courses um, and, and trying to find the right fit students for, for these programs. So super, super exactly. helpful there. Yeah. And, and I'll just say you, yeah, you, you kind of can't pinpoint it. I know we're kind of keep going back to that, but that, connectivity and that consistency between, you know, these core functions that make up an, a successful, you know, online program in particular um, is just so key. And I think it's a, one of the biggest, you talk about UVPs for, for an institution, you know, that is a huge competitive advantage. If you can, if you can get these three areas working together, you're going to be at a huge advantage over a 90% of, of the higher ed market right now. Um, so I would, you know, even a small regional, you know, relatively unknown school can have a huge competitive advantage if you're personalizing experience and it's consistent across all three functions. 100%. And, you know, one of the things that we, that, you know, some of the greatest marketers say these days is 
it's not just about, you know, what you sell, but how you sell today. And, you know, that just gives credence to the need for to the need for a really seamless, frictionless experience for folks um, that aligns with, as you were saying, sort of like future self, like what is, what is the buyer in this case? What is the student trying to achieve? And, you know, even if you have a product that is relatively akin to the product down the street, if you make it really easy to access that product and really help guide folks to that product, right, you can you can win um, in in a you know competitive uh, in a competitive space. So love that. Um, yep. I want to shift the conversation to to you, Malika, and talk about student success right now. So students who have a sense of belonging. There's lots of data out there that set, that suggests that they're more likely to thrive and ultimately um, you know remain at the institution and and graduate. Can you help us understand the importance of of coaching and why it's different than just advising or, or mentoring? Like, what does it look like to have uh, within sort of this greater context that we've been, that we've been kind of like playing in, what does it look like to have a really great coaching relationship? Sure. Uh, the relationship is, is central um, to, to, their, to their success, um, to their connection. Uh, really, coaching creates the space to provide developmental advising and really allow students to actively participate in the co-creation of their next steps of their educational journey. Where you might think about some relationships related to advising is all essential, but we're, we're talking about differentiation, right? More than necessarily going over the degree plan or going over the, the course um, required courses or prerequisites, um, more than necessarily um, getting um, big sister mentoring, big brother mentoring about potential career opportunities, but it really is allowing the student to take center stage in co-creation with a coach that uses a relationship to understand who they are and then allow them to not just be a part of the conversation, but actually lead that conversation. Hmm. And so I think that's the aspect that is, is quite unique. Um, you feel the coach support, you have a thought partner that's really um, in tune with where you're trying to go, but they're not leading the conversation. They're helping to um, provide the space to ask certain questions and the expectation is then that, that the student then begins um, to really formulate uh, possible next steps and have accountability um, from their coach in doing so. So I think those are some of the huge differentiators between advising, mentoring, um, and coaching. And it begins with that coaching relationship that develops between, between the two. There were a couple articles that were trending earlier this week just talking about how this year's uh, fall class, like incoming freshmen in particular, um, are are already struggling and there's uh, an uptick in sort of like mental health concerns and whatnot, just in light of everything happening in the world. Um, And so I'm curious, like what sort of role it's it would seem to me that the role of somebody in student affairs, the role of a a coach right now, um, pretty much overnight, right, has has taken on more severity. In other words, there's a greater need for folks to really help, you know, uh, in a empowering way, kind of shepherd people who are struggling um, and who are hurting and who are who are just confused. And so, you know, what sort of words of wisdom or what sort of advice would you give to folks who are uh, in sort of student affairs right now and they're really kind of concerned with how best to service their students, what, what the best way to uh, offer coaching in sort of a, a virtual world if students aren't on campus? Uh, what, you know, what can you advise folks to do right now who are sort of just throwing up their hands thinking, I don't know if I'm being helpful, how can I be more helpful? Uh, uh, what, what words of inspiration do you have for them? Sure. 
I would say central to where we are now is students really do need the, the space for that relationship to be nurtured. And that really happens through um, premier communication, being able to demonstrate um, certain attributes as genuine curiosity, um, being able to demonstrate active listening and listening for what a student may not be saying, being able to look at potential gaps um, in their communication. So there's one, one approach to a meeting of having the transactional things that need to be shared and done and moving on, but you can totally miss the student if you're not connecting with where they are. So being able to understand, taking the time to get a pulse check, to, to ask questions, to pause, to actually use silence to give students the opportunity to have a voice, and then based upon what's been shared, create the relevant next step. So I think really um, students need to feel supported. They need to feel that connection, but they do that by their voice being present and then being able to align and connect necessary resources if possible. So a lot of Inside Tracks coaching methodology will delve into help, will delve into support, will we'll delve into these different eight focus areas that we find to be um, an absolute component of the student's life, not just the academics, but it's the life of being a student, right? How to be a student during a pandemic and yeah. those challenges, they're always gonna trump what, what assignments do. But if that's if that has had an opportunity to be voiced and supported, then the student can then pivot to the other areas of the technicalities of getting coursework done. So really it's being being the person you would want, being the person you would want to show up for you, showing up for a student in that way and not being afraid to demonstrate things like vulnerability and transparency to show an authentic connection with with, a, with another human. It would also just seem to me that, you know, this point in time to, uh, you know, hopefully there are consistent feedback loops, but now more than ever before, it's important that folks uh, in student fairs are regularly talking with people in enrollment management and people on the front line saying, hey, these are the concerns of our students today, right? Here's sort of the fear and uncertainty that they're walking through. Uh, it's important yes. that you know about this as you're communicating with prospective students and what, you know, how does this inform the messaging that you include in your communication flows? Like how does this inform sort of the, the ad campaigns you might be launching and, you know, any sort of just quick kind of tips uh, for folks who are uh, maybe kind of struggling, they're in an institution where uh, student services, student affairs aren't working very closely with enrollment management and, and or Marcom, any sort of tips and tricks for how folks might be able to increase kind of that feedback loop? I, mean, I would certainly think that, that some type of interdepartmental opportunity to share um, you know, we've heard from so many institutions about, you know, there's so many COVID meetings, right? So many COVID-19 meetings, but a meeting that is really designed to help delve into what are we hearing? What are, what are the experiences of students? What are the insights so that you intentionally pivot and not think about business as usual, but really think about how can we share what we're learning across the board because it's, it's learning real time, it, it's constant feedback and information, but making sure you're taking the time. So whether that's a weekly meeting or a, you know, got off on another Zoom meeting, but a, a meeting that's, that's really designed around to share those insights. And if that's, that's really far, far reaching, but using COVID-19 as the excuse of why it's almost essential to, to institute a new type of meeting that allows you to share those best practices, um, to analyze, and then move forward and, and best how to support students in light of what's unfolding. Thank you. 
we are close to time, and um, I know a couple of us probably have to uh, <laughs> jump in, a, in just a second. So this is a final question for all of you. And Lori, why don't you answer this first? Because I think you've got to, to sign off here in just a couple minutes. Uh, this final question is, uh, in a stressful moment uh, for our industry, what brings each of you the most hope right now? What are, and another way of thinking about this is just, what are you most excited about in light of everything happening? I think that higher education is going to bring. Uh, are you getting? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go, go again. Sorry, it's a little staticky on my end. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I think that uh, higher education has been on the brink uh, of change. You know, leading up to the whole pandemic, and I think uh, the price of tuition, the concern over access. Um, has really been, you know, just such a dominant theme of something that is begging for disruption. And with the, with the onset of the pandemic and, and the shift to the modality of online, I think we're quickly seeing two things. Online is not going away. And second, you know, many of the, the leaders in that, in that realm have already demonstrated that there's a cost effectiveness that can be achieved there's, there's alternatives to access uh, that it's providing. And it's redefining kind of what students need more. Do they need a $250,000 loan debt? Or do they need access to a quality program that's gonna help them get a job uh, without going into debt? And I think there's a whole host of arguments for you know, liberal arts education still needing to be a factor, but focusing more on skills, thinking about more online modality. There's just a whole conversation around this. And now more than ever, what the student needs is more in focus. And it was kind of this last afterthought before. And it's also challenged us to come up with better ways to create a, a more quality experience in that modality, which, it's, which is needed for it to be a really viable option to bring that cost down for students. So I, I think for me, what gives me hope is that um, I have three kids about to go to college and I'm not necessarily on board with $70,000 a year times three kids times four years. Um, we've got to come up with better ways of doing this. So I feel personally invested and, and what gives me hope more than anything else is that this conversation is no longer going away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we are at the helm of making the student experience come to fruition. There's so much is a blank canvas at this point. And like I said, at the very beginning, I love a challenge and I can't think of a bigger one than trying to help head higher education redefine itself. Yeah. And to build on that, I'll, I'll say, you know, it's like we leapfrogged five or six years, which um, is kind of forcing that evolution and the innovation that we're seeing and the different, you know, the different modalities for me is really exciting. And I think talking about challenges, we as enrollment marketers need to rethink how we do what we do in order to make, you know, boot camps and these micro programs and credential programs viable as well for, for the work that we do. It's, you know, it's, it's still, uh, you know, an area we need to continue innovating and pushing the envelope to, to bring down the cost per lead enough to make those make sense. Um, and, and, you know, allow schools to compete and continue to growing in those areas. So for me, it's like that, you know, that we, we leapfrog five or six years to, to get us to a place where 
that innovation is going to happen. And it's kind of forcing those who are holding back on, you know, wanting to expand into online. They, they have to make it a priority now. And, and it's not so much us having to sell the value of online anymore, um, like, like what we used to have to do. I think I would just add to that um, excitement around scalability, being able to look at or take the crisis that COVID has created really use it as an opportunity to connect with students, to connect with institutions, to realize that there's not a one-size-fits-all uh, cookie-cutter answer, but being able to scale up or scale down in certain ways and to meet these institutions where they are so that they really are able to devise and, and create meaningful opportunities for education um, for all students. Well, thank you all very, very much. This has been wonderfully insightful, uh, at least for me, and hopefully for our, our listeners as well. Um, I really appreciate the time and uh, thank you guys for the work that you're doing. Uh, if folks are interested in learning more about this course, what's the best way for them to either sign up for the course or, or learn more about it? Um, I would say email is probably great. Um, Clayton at circaedu.com. Uh, Malika, I don't know your email off the top of my head if you want to share sure. that as well. Yeah, it's malika.com.org. Great. And I can include that in, in our show notes as well. Um, and yeah, and you know, for our listeners, you guys know how to reach me too. If you, uh, don't remember that or don't want to click on the link in the show notes, go ahead and just ping me and I will introduce you to these fine people. So thank you all very, very much again. Really, really appreciate your time and looking forward to staying in touch. Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity, Zach. We appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for having me. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management, and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.